says, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring. For the tree beareth her fruit, the, vine, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. When something yields its strength, it gives everything it's got. I mean, it gives it its all. And in verse 23, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Now, the Lord dealt with me about this three or four years ago. There's three dispensations there. There's the dispensation of the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain. The dispensation of the former rain was on the day of Pentecost. We've been in the dispensation of the rain since whenever that dispensation died out. It didn't last a long time. But I know people have been taught that when they got the Holy Ghost, they got what was poured out on the day of Pentecost. You may have been taught that. But if you didn't live in that time frame, you didn't live in that dispensation, you didn't get what happened on the day of Pentecost because there's never been another manifestation of the Spirit of God that manifested itself in the early church like it did then. There's going to be, but there has not been to this time. And I hope I, I'm trying to make sense. But you got three dispensations there. you got the dispensation of the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain. I can tell you what the rain is. I can tell you what the former rain is. But I cannot tell you what the latter rain is. I can tell you what I think it is because we've never had anything revealed or brought forth in the latter rain because we're not in that dispensation yet. I know I've had people tell me just here lately, well, the, the latter rain's already happened. I said, I don't think so. I just don't think so. And like I said, I, there's a lot of things I don't understand, but what I know, I know. Amen. The fullness of the resurrected Christ living right here. The full power. And, and I want to explain something to y'all. You see, if you can follow me. Jesus said in John 14 and 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall ye do also. And greater works in these shall ye do, because I go to my Father. Now, that may not be word for word and common period, and, but it's pretty close. Okay? Now, follow what I'm saying. Jesus walked this earth as a man. He received an indwelling of the Spirit of God. I do not believe it was the fullness. But he had power. He had power over situation, circumstance, demons. I call that the ministry of the Son of Man. And I believe we fix and see it again. But once Jesus was resurrected, in Matthew 28, he told his disciples, he said, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. In other words, and Colossians will tell you that the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. In him, all power and all authority now dwells in that body of Jesus. He's still a man, but he's God. You understand what I'm saying? So, the only thing Jesus done after his resurrection was he come back 
And he instructed his disciples, according to the first chapter of Acts, on things pertaining to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. I believe in a place called heaven, and I believe in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven and heaven are two different things. The kingdom of heaven is what Jesus revealed with the power, the authority, and dominion that lived in him over situation, circumstances, nature, demons, sickness, disease. Because when John come preaching, he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You can't find anywhere that Jesus preached anything other than the gospel of the kingdom. And when he preached the gospel of the kingdom, sicknesses were healed. Demons was cast out. He even healed the maimed. The Bible said he healed the maimed. And, but once Jesus resurrected, he didn't minister on earth like he did before his death, burial, and resurrection. He just instructed the disciples and things pertaining to the kingdom of God. I believe it's Acts 1 and 3. He showed himself alive, the Bible says, by many infallible proofs. He didn't spend 40 days with them. He just was there when necessary. But for 40 days they saw him alive, and he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. So, I believe the latter rain, Sister Pat, is what the Lord told me on February 16, 2013. The full power of the resurrected Christ mixed with the humanity of man is going to dwell right here. And we're going to minister through that power of that resurrected Christ, but we're also going to have the knowledge of the man, Jesus. Now, when the Lord spoke that, that to me, I didn't, I didn't realize what God had told me. But about a week later, the Lord took me into a series of visions, and I saw the life of Jesus. As he began to minister, I saw the things he faced. I saw the trials he went through. I saw when he cast out devils. I saw everything he went through for several years. And right out beside that, when the Lord was showing me that, I saw a graft of DNA. Any of y'all ever studied science? You seen that twisted ladder type thing? I know if you're in the medical field, you know what a graft of DNA looks like. It's just twisted colored strands. Well, when the Lord showed me that, he showed me that everything Jesus went through or was tempted or tried or cast out a devil, it was like him and the Spirit of God started intertwining. And they finally became one. And the Bible will tell you in Acts 2.36, Jesus became the Christ. He became the Christ. So I saw that, and he became one with God. He didn't start out. He started out as a man. But he became one with God. So y'all following with me? So I believe that the humanity of Jesus is going to be just as much a part of our walk with God as the resurrected power of Christ. Because there's going to be things you're going to get into and situations you're going to face. You're going to have to have wisdom as a man. You're going to have to have understanding as a man. Everything ain't going to be the Spirit of God. And humanity's different from carnality. When Adam was created, he was created with humanity. He was not created with carnality. But he was created with humanity. And so the Lord, that's what the Lord told me. He said, I'm sending back 
the full power of the resurrection mixed with the humanity of man. It, if you read in your Bible, I believe it's 1 Timothy 2 and 5, it says there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So he's still every much as bit man as he was, but yet the full power of God dwells in him. You get to heaven, you ain't going to see an old man with a beard sitting on the throne. You ain't going to see a, a dove sitting on one side and Jesus on the other. You're going to see one. You're going to see that man, Christ Jesus, but the fullness of God dwells in him. The Bible said it dwells in him bodily. Colossians. Colossians says it. Okay, y'all with me? So, uh, what I want to show you here in verse 23 it says, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For He hath given you the former rain moderately. Now, if you know English grammar, it says, For He hath given you. That's past tense. Everybody with me? That's past tense. For he hath given you the former rain moderately. Moderately means in a measure. Okay? And I brought this out last night in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22. Paul said we've received an earnest of the Spirit. An earnest is a down payment. Y'all agree with me so far? It's a down payment. So he said here in Joel, he said, For he hath given you the former rain moderately. Now you listen to what I'm telling you. That means what happened on the day of Pentecost had already happened. And he will cause to come down for you the rain, which I believe we're in the dispensation of the rain now. I believe we've been in the dispensation of the rain since the dispensation of the former rain passed on. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And I explained to y'all either this morning or last night, I know the Jewish calendar starts in mid-March to mid-April, somewhere in there, according to our calendar. And that's the first month. I always thought by reading these scriptures that God was going to give a great move of God in the spring because that's the first month. And sitting right back there in that office here in July of 2015, the Lord spoke to me. He said the first month is not the literal first month. He said it's a type of a new beginning. He said, so I'm fixing to bring in a new beginning he said, when I bring that new beginning of my spirit in, he said, what I have already given on the day of Pentecost in moderation, he said, I'm now going to bring in the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the time frame of this new beginning. And the Lord told me, he said, I'm fixing to take my people into a new beginning. And we've got to have a new beginning because I'm going to think it's too messed up. There's too many doctrines, too many traditions, too many divisions. 
And there's too much cynicism in people. I mean, people just cynical. They're, they're gospel-hardened. They're full of judgment. They're full of self-righteousness. And I believe we're going to see God now reach out and get a brand new generation. I believe He's fixing to reach out there and get a brand new generation. Because when I grew up, almost everybody went to church. But when we went to church and we was growing up, everybody went in suits and ties. The kids went in suits and ties. And you didn't hardly find anybody that didn't go to church. Now you've got people in their 30s that have never darkened the door of the house of God. Never had any kind of relationship with God. Don't know anything about salvation. That's a generation right there that God can visit. That's a generation right there. Peter spoke about a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And I believe we're fixing to see them come forth. But there's a generation out there don't know your don't know your God. See, I was raised with miracles. I was raised with deliverance. When I started preaching and God touched my life, I started having healings and miracles. I've been to the mission field in India. I've had God open blind eyes, deaf ears, dumb tongues. Right here in this country, I've seen God straighten crooked spines, grow short legs, blind eyes, deaf ears, heal cancers, tumors, gorders. One of the first miracles Brother Michael ever seen, he went to the mission field with me in 20, 2006, and I prayed for a woman had a big gorder in her throat, big as my fist. And I told that interpreter, I said, when I cursed that thing, I said, you tell her to swallow. She swallowed, and when she did, and I'd moved my hand, that gorder was completely gone. But Michael got the pictures of it. We've seen these kind of miracles. I've, had, I've experienced them. I'm not looking for more miracles. I'm looking for the Christ to be revealed in here. I want to be a vessel that he can live in, that I can manifest his life, his nature, his compassion, his mercy, his love, his forgiveness. And if I do that, the power is going to be there. The power of miracles is going to be there. So, right here when he said, for he hath given, that's past tense. Everybody agree with that? Your grammar, that says, for he hath given. But then he'd turn around and said, but he's going to cause to come down for you in the first month or in the time of a new beginning, the rain, the former, and the latter rain. So we got something to press forward to. We got something to press forward to. The church has got to have a new beginning. That's why I believe that God is fixing to pour out the former rain of his spirit like he did on the day of Pentecost. Because when, and it's like I believe I told you all this morning. The Lord dealt with me that when he poured the Holy Ghost out on the day of Pentecost, there was 120 in that upper room. There wasn't one of them a church member. They were all chosen for ministry. Every one of them was chosen for ministry. The Lord told me that when he poured his Spirit out on the day of Pentecost, he said, what I revealed to Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 on the gifts, the operations, the diversities of the gifts, the diversities of administrations and operations, he said, he said, that's what I poured out on the day of Pentecost. And he said, that's what I put in them people. He said, because time the sun went down that day, they had 3,000 people had to be governed. So he had to have government in place. When the Holy Ghost came in, y'all can talk about jerking and shouting and talking in tongues. And I don't preach tongues as initial evidence of the Holy Ghost. I preach the fruit of the Spirit. I preach the fruit of the Spirit. 
You say, well, Brother Matter, they, they, they spoke in tongues. Yeah, but they spoke in natural tongues. They spoke in natural tongues, natural languages. It wasn't heavenly languages. It was natural languages. And I've never taught the Holy Ghost the evidence of it as being just speaking in tongues. Because I know people that have never spoken in tongues, but yet they've received the Spirit of Christ in them, and He started changing their life. Started taking that sin nature out. Started giving them a desire to serve God and walk with God. And I've seen people driven out of churches because they were told, because they didn't speak in tongues, they didn't have the Holy Ghost. I don't believe that. I've never believed it. I've never preached it. I'll never preach it because it don't line up with the Scriptures. How many times do you see Jesus going around speaking in tongues? Okay. You don't see the apostles going around speaking in tongues every time the Spirit of God moved on them. It got to be a religious habit, and it got to be a, a tradition and a doctrine that people need to get away from and start seeking to reveal the Christ. Start seeking to reveal His life and His nature. I mean, I believe it's Peter's writings. He said, according to exceeding great and precious promises, we can be made a partaker of His divine nature. We can be made a partaker right here on this earth. I don't believe everything you're going to receive in God is going to be up here. I believe it's going to be down here. I mean, when you read Romans, Paul said, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Y'all think any glory is going to be revealed in you in heaven? You ain't going to have any glory up there. You ain't going to need no glory up there. All the glory is going to belong to him up there. Well, all the glory is going to belong to him down here, but it's going to be revealed through him living inside of you. It's going to be through that manifested Christ. Jesus manifested the Father to us. We beheld His glory. We saw it. So we are going to manifest Christ to the world in that same type working of the Spirit of God. So, here the Lord began to show me that the former rain had already been given. All right, now you go on down to the 24th verse. And it says, and the floor shall be full of wheat, and the vat shall overflow with wine and oil. We know this is spiritual. It's not natural. Verse 25, and I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the cankerworm and the caterpillar, and my palmer worm, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. Now, the first few words of verse 25 said, And I will restore to you the years. What's he talking about? Ask yourself, what is he talking about? What is he going to restore? Is he going to restore the law? We're going to go back to sacrificing animals? Huh? He did. So, when he says, I will restore to you the years, you've got to ask yourself, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? Now, go back to Joel, the first chapter. And like I said, you may not agree with me. I'm not trying to make you believe. 
I'm just putting the word out there, and it's up to you to pray, ask God, is this right? Or if it bears witness in your spirit, then you're going to know it's right. Because I'm going to tell you, if you've got the true spirit of God, the spirit and the word agree. Amen. Spirit and the word agree. You say, well, I ain't never heard nobody teach nothing like that. I ain't never heard nobody teach it either. God started giving it to me about a year ago. And it's like I told you all this morning. It was August of last year that the Lord began to break this down. And right there, he said, in 23, he said, I've, I have given you the form of rain moderately, which is a measure. You go over to Second Corinthians one twenty-two. Paul said, we've received an earnest. That's a measure. So what the Lord began to show me, and then if you go to First uh, Corinthians 13, Paul said, we know in part, we prophesy in part, we understand in part. And he goes on down and talks how when I was a child, I spake as a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child. He said, but when that which is in part is done away with, that which is perfect is come. The word perfect there means mature and complete. So when that which is mature and complete is come, that which is in part shall be done away with. So what Paul was saying is we're walking in immaturity. We don't like to admit that. We think because... We see somebody use the gift of prophecy or somebody gets healed or we see the Spirit of God move or somebody gets miraculously saved. We think, man, we we walking in tall cotton. You're still walking in immaturity. We don't like to admit that. What did uh, You go to Paul's writings in Hebrews, and I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. But you look at Hebrews 5 and you go to verse 12, and Paul says, when the time has come that you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. The first principles of the oracles of God. And he goes on down and talks about where you ought to be in God. And then when he goes down to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, he starts talking about going on under perfection. So Paul was telling us we're walking in immaturity. We're walking in part. We're knowing in part. We're understanding in part. He said right now we see through a glass darkly. He said, but when the perfection, the fullness of this thing has come, he said, then we're going to see him face to face. We're going to know even as also we are known. So we don't know much right now. We don't know much right now. Are you all following with me? But the Lord is bringing in a mature church because he's getting ready to bring forth an outpouring of the Spirit that fell at the day of Pentecost, which is going to restore government, going to restore power, going to restore leadership. Because the church has no leadership today as a whole. Just don't have it. Not like it did in the Bible. I know there's a lot of organizations have government. But I'm talking about the government that the Lord put in the church on the day of Pentecost. I'm talking about the ministries He placed in the church with the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that He spoke of in Ephesians 4 and 11. And he said these were for the perfecting of the saints or the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying, erecting, or building of the body of Christ. That's what these five ministries are for. Till we all come, he said all of you, come in the unity of the the faith unto the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of of the fullness of Christ. And he said, when that happens, he said, you won't be children anymore. 
He said that henceforth you not be children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. We need some maturity. We need some ministers with maturity. We need some men like Paul and Peter, Moses and Elijah, to stand for the Word of God. And we're going to see them. I'm telling you, what I believe, we're going to see them. We're going to see them come on the scene. I believe that. <coughs> because it's some things going to help set the church back in order. Am I making sense to anybody so far? Besides me. So we go back to Joel, the first chapter, and I'm going to start at the first verse. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pithuel, Hear this, ye old man, and give ear all ye inhabitants of the land. Hath this been in your day, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell ye your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children another generation. So he was talking about something to come. He said, this ain't for your day. This didn't happen in the days of your fathers. This didn't happen in your day. He said, this is for future generations. Y'all following with me? And here he starts talking about what Joel brought out in 2.25. He said, that which the palmer worm hath left hath the locust eaten. That which the locust has left hath the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. Awake ye drunkards, and weep and howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. Do we not refer to the new wine as the Holy Ghost? Did he not say right here, because the wine and the new wine is cut off from your mouth? That means the day of Pentecost had already happened. Oh, I got your attention there. And I'm telling you this because of what I'm fixing to show you back over in Acts, the second chapter. The new wine couldn't have been cut off if it hadn't already been given. Can I get an amen? If I can't get an amen, somebody give me an old me. Well, it had already happened. In other words, Joel is writing beyond the book of Acts. You understand what I'm saying? Joel ain't, and everything we've been taught is what Joel taught was the outpouring on the day of Pentecost, but God started showing me that what Joel was writing goes beyond what happened at Pentecost. Now, y'all understand what I'm saying? Because he said the new wine is cut off. Well, something can't be cut off if it ain't given. He said, he hath given you the former rain in moderation. Well, that we know that happened on the day of Pentecost. And so Joel's writing beyond Pentecost. He's writing what's going to happen beyond Pentecost. So am I making sense to you? Okay. All right. So he said in verse 5, Awake ye drunkards, and weep and howl, all ye drinkers of wine. Because of the new wine, fruit is cut off from your mouth. Okay, I wanted to establish that. And there's a lot in here I'm not going to get into because if it did, we'd be here three days. But go back to chapter 2. And I read to you in verse 25. And the reason I wanted to show you this is verse 25 said, I will restore to you the years. What years is he going to restore? 
if he says he's going to restore to you the years that the cankerworm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, the Lord showed me once the Holy Ghost was given that the devil immediately set in to eat up through the generations. didn't all happen at once, but through the generations, he started eating up the working of the Spirit of God to keep it from getting established in people. So there's your canker worm, your caterpillar, your palmer worm, your locust, all down through the generations. So when we come down to verse 25, he said, I'm going to restore what's been taken away from you. Y'all know good and well we don't have a church with power and authority like we had in the book of Acts. We got a church full of witchcraft, soothsayers, perversion, evil. And I'm going to tell you, there ain't very many people walking anointing miracles anymore. Most of it's soothsaying. Whether y'all want to accept that or not, the Lord began to speak to me in 2016 and told me that witchcraft and soothsaying had found its way into the church. Ministers that started with gifts in sincerity, once they lost their dedication, quit praying, quit that relationship with God. A spirit of divination and soothsaying can step right in where the gift of word of knowledge and word of wisdom and discerning of spirits dwell. And there's a lot of people, ministers that some of y'all sat in their services and know them. They now operate by the spirit of soothsaying and witchcraft and spirit of divination. That woman that followed Paul in Silas in Acts 16 and cried out, these are the men of the Most High God. They'll show you the way of salvation. She was right. She had a spirit of divination. She could tell what the men were about. But when God started moving, go back to Moses, what withstood him? Magicians, witchcraft. You go down to the day of Elijah, what withstood him on Mount Carmel? When Elijah looked at him and said, let the God that answers by fire be God, you think if they couldn't make fire with their enchantments, they was going to accept that challenge? No, they had been able to make fire appear to come down from heaven with their magic and their enchantments. That's why they accepted. But in the presence of the true and the living God, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Yeah. They were the prophets of Baal. They were the ministers. Yeah. And then you go up to Philip's day in Samaria. What withstood him? Simon the sorcerer. He had bewitched the people for a long time, and they thought he was a great man of God. So the forces of soothsaying and witchcraft are prevalent in the earth today. That's why Paul said you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but you wrestle against principalities and powers. You wrestle against the rulers of darkness of this world. That's your witchcraft. That's your soothsayers. You fight against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the doctrines to keep you from understanding what can live in you and the power and the authority and dominion of God that He wants to reveal in us through the kingdom. Are you all following with me? So we've got a lot that we're up against. We're up against witchcraft. We're up against soothsaying. We're up against principalities and powers. That's the reason Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violent will have to take it by force. Philip preached the kingdom in Samaria, and it withstood witchcraft. 
when Paul started out with Barnabas in Acts 13 and started preaching, he went to an island and he ran into a man called Elimaeus the sorcerer by interpretation. His name is Bar-Jesus. And that man withstood him because he was a sorcerer. So there was sorcery. Sorcery and witchcraft and magicians have always tried to withstand and imitate the power of God from Moses' day on down. Hadn't changed. Still the same today. I will not watch any kind of a magician, a magic show, a trip. I, I don't want no part of it. I don't want no part of a fortune teller because the real ones, it's demon spirits. It's demon spirits. And people don't understand the, the, the falseness. I mean, Paul warned that in the last days perilous times shall come and there was going to be doctrines of devils. People would give heed to doctrines of devils, seducing spirits that would turn them away. And when a seducing spirit operates, you don't know what you're dealing with. You think you... See, everybody thinks that Eve, when the enemy come to her and started talking to her, they think that she just rebelled against God. That demon convinced her that by doing what she was doing, she was fixing to go to a higher place in God. But to do that, she had to break God's Word. That should have been her first sign right there. But she should have never been talking to the devil out from under the covering of her husband anyway. But she didn't do it to be disobedient. She didn't do it to be rebellious. She didn't know she was going to mess up. The devil seduced her and convinced her by breaking God's word that she was going to gain ground in God. That's the way these spirits operate. They will convince you by breaking God's word and doing certain things, you're actually going to gain a walk with God. Are you actually going to go into a different realm with God? You can't break God's word and come up. You can't do it. But that's the danger of a seducing spirit. A seducing spirit will lie to you and convince you you're doing right when you're doing wrong. When a man seduces a woman, he lies to her and gets her to do what he wants her to do, and all the time she's thinking he's, she's doing something good when she's actually doing something wrong. That's why they call them seducing spirits. It's a deception. That's why Jesus warned of all the false prophets. He said, many going to come in my name saying I am Christ, I'm anointed, and they're going to deceive many. They're going to deceive many. He said, there's even going to be some of them coming. They're going to have power to call fire down from heaven. They're going to deceive many. He said, you're going to have to take heed. You're going to have to beware. He said, they're coming as wolves, but they're coming as ministers of righteousness. What Paul warned about, angels of light, false apostles disguising themselves as ministers of righteousness. We're in an evil day, children. We're in an evil day, and the only thing that's going to keep you on guard it's going to be that daily relationship with God in prayer. It's the only thing that's going to keep you. Don't ever think, you know, I, I write about things, and it hasn't been that far back. I wrote again about seducing spirits. Some of you want to read that blog, go to, a, go to our website. There's a blog there on seducing spirits. Read it. And everybody, I, I'll send notes out to about, i got about 40 preachers I send notes out to. And a lot of them, Sometimes when I write about something, they'll say, yeah, Brother Metter, the, the churches of the day and the mega churches are full of these kind of spirits. I said, let me tell you something. I said, devil ain't after the mega churches. I said, he'd be after you. 
closer you are to the truth and a relationship and a walk with God, the more the devil's going to come after you. If I laid $200 bills on this table and one was counterfeit, if you didn't have a trained eye, you can pick out the counterfeit. The counterfeit is as close to the real as it can get. The devil is as close to the real as he can get. When the serpent come to Eve, I don't believe he looked like a serpent. I don't believe that. He didn't crawl on his belly at that time. I believe he presented himself as a very pleasant, comely individual that was able to talk to her in a charming, pleasant fashion. He just didn't go to her and convince her. It was probably years and years and years and years. But what she didn't understand, what the devil's trying to tell her, well, when you do this, you're going to become as God. She was already made in his image and likeness. And at any time she'd have spoke to the devil in authority, he'd have had to left her alone. But she was out from under the covering of her husband. And that's what got her in trouble. She was out from under her head, and her leadership had got her in trouble. Okay, now, I don't know how I get off on these bunny trails. <laughs> they still good anyhow, ain't they? All right, now, are y'all following with me in verse 25 that he said, I'll restore to you the years. So what he has got to restore is what happened on the day of Pentecost. That's the foundation of the church. Will y'all agree to that? Y'all agree that the former reign was the foundation of the church? It set up the government, put in God's order, put in the power, set the ministry. We don't have ministry today that leads and guides the churches. In the New Testament, everything was organized, and you had a body of elders at Jerusalem of apostles and elders. And when there was a question about doctrine, they sent up to Jerusalem. For them to fast and pray about it, send the word back out to the churches. All the churches believed the same thing. They were of the same mind, the same judgment, taught the same thing. You don't have that today. So what God has got to do is restore the government and the leadership back to the church that he put in the book of Acts. It's got to happen if we're going forward in this fullness of the Christ. It ain't going to happen any other way. So, y'all following with me that the restoration? All right, now, let me go on and read this because I think I got through verse 26. And I'm going to verse 27. And ye shall know that I am the midst, I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. Right now, God's people are ashamed. Right now, the heathen are raging, and they're looking at us and they're saying, all right, where's your God? You talk a big talk, where's you walk? You ever had anybody try to shame you because you believe in a God of miracles and a God of deliverance? The heathen right now are raging. They'll tell you the God that you believe in doesn't exist anymore. You know why? They've never seen this God. I remember I was praying under my tent when I don't even remember where I was. And I was praying. Of course, I spent my time in prayer. But I was telling the Lord. I said, God, nobody is hungry for God anymore. You know what the Lord spoke back in my spirit? 
He said, show them a God to be hungry for. Show them a God to be hungry for. You're not going to win this generation with gimmicks and tricks and smoke and light and mirrors. You're not going to win them with praise teams. They may go worship God, if that's what you want to call it. But for deliverance to come in their lives and deliver them for what they're bound with, it's going to take a true power and anointing of God to set this generation free. But we got a bound generation. I mean, we got a we got a bound generation. And people will tell me, said Brother Matter, what you preach don't work. What I preach has worked for 46 years and it still works because I'm not compromising. People tell me I'm too hard. I preach the same gospel that saved me. I was born tongue-tied. The devil didn't want me to preach. When I was seven months old, my mama said, would you go to church? And said I'd feel the Spirit of God and I'd just squeal. And my tongue was tied. And when I was seven, eight months old, the Spirit of God fell on me. I don't know if somebody prayed for me or what. But my mom will testify. And she said, when John was seven months old, she said, God loosed the string of his tongue and he ain't been quiet since. But that's a good thing. Because what God has put in me has impacted a lot of people's lives. And I thank God for that. I got... Young people all over this country that come to my meetings in the 80s and 90s, that young lady right there came to my meeting in 91 when she was like 13 years old. God impacted her life. There's young people like her all in the 80s and 90s came to my tent meetings. God's impacted their life and changed them. There's people all over the world. I was in India preaching in 90, I believe it was 94. And I I, I went with some missionaries in, in 90. And then I went back in 93, and then when I went back in 94, I had my own meetings. I set up my own meetings. And I was in a place in a schoolyard, and we had that thing packed. And I was there three days, and we drew the, the big crowd that finally built, built to about 30,000. And the last night of the meeting, we'd done been in so many meetings, we knew we better get off the platform, get in the taxi, and go. And so we had the taxi cab back right up beside the platform, just a big concrete open stage. I had preached, give the altar call, had many miracles. And I turned it over to one of the Indian brothers, and I walked down the ramp, and in that cab I went. Well, the driver had rolled the windows down. And when them people saw me walk off that platform, they mobbed that car. And one lady that God had delivered her and touched her life, and we had baptized her, she come running across that lot. She dove through that window and grabbed me around the neck, tears streaming down her face. Said, please don't leave, please don't leave, please don't leave. God has changed my life, please don't leave. So it's not just in this country, it's around the world. God has impacted hundreds into thousands of lives. That's the reason I asked, I've started asking people, what's your legacy? Is your testimony going to be, God saved me in 1972, and that's all the testimony you've got? 
If God's called you, you better be seeking for God to use you. You better be seeking for God to do something with your life because God didn't put you here just to warm a bench. God didn't put you here to train you, to edify you, to gift you, to anoint you and send you forth so you can have an impact on people's lives. So you've got to do something with what God gives you. I mean, I know people, and, and they've got the same testimony. They've been saved as long and longer than I have. And, well, God delivered me from drugs in 1994. That's their whole testimony. They've done nothing since. I don't want that kind of testimony. I want a testimony that I've given my life to the Lord, and He's taken this vessel and done something with it. So, Verse 27, And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else in my people should never be ashamed. Verse 28, now pay attention to this. And it shall come to pass afterward. After what? After the restoration, it's going to come to pass. What's going to be restored? What happened at the day of Pentecost? All right, now, here's where we're going to get sticky. <laughs> yeah? Here. Now, if y'all don't know, this is my son, naturally and spiritually. <laughs> uh, I'll stay out of the camera way, but uh, just hearing him say that you know and i've heard bits and pieces of this before but at the day of pentecost peter gets up and he says well this is what was spoken by the prophet joel that it should come after come to pass afterward and he basically quotes the scripture there yeah. but if you look at what he asked jesus in acts chapter one he said will this be the time that god restores the kingdom back to israel right so what and i don't know if you're going to get into it or not but what Peter said was not wrong, but the fullness of it had not has not been given. So what, what Peter said, he saw the restoration because that's what he asked Jesus. Will God at this time restore his kingdom to Israel? So Peter had some sort of insight right. of what Jesus was saying to them. He said, man, there is something coming. And Peter understood the kingdom of God. Right. That's why he asked that question. That's good. And so. That's good. You know, but we're talking about the restoring of in this day. Well, we've never seen that in this day, Mm-mm. right? Because of what you've talked about so far. But I've never seen that connection where Peter asked about the restoration of the kingdom. Then he quotes Joel, right, which is talking about a restoration. Okay. And then you know it goes on to what you were saying. But that right. connection there, I've never seen. All right. It. Let me let me make this connection because I had it. But that that's good. That is an understanding I didn't have. All right, now, if you go, and you can put your marker right there at Joel 2, but go to the book of Isaiah, and I believe it's 61. I'll have to get there and see. I believe it's 61. When you get there, say amen. Let me know you're there. Y'all there with me? Verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. All right, I'm going to stop right there. Now I'm going to Luke, the fourth chapter. And I'm going to validate what Christopher just said and make the same point. Luke 4 and verse 18. Or let's back up to uh, 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the very thing I just read to y'all in Isaiah 61. Is it not? Word for word. I just read it to you, okay? He closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down, and the eyes of all them were in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. But you go back to Isaiah 61, and there's a lot more to that prophecy that's got to be fulfilled. So, in other words, Jesus fulfilled a portion of it, but the rest of 61 has not yet been fulfilled. So, what he was saying, Peter said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, which was talking about the restoration, but the signs that I'm fixing to get into and show you didn't happen on the day of Pentecost. Ooh, I got y'all's attention. They did not happen. Okay. Y'all with me? You go back to 61 and look at that. You'll see what all's got to be done. You start at verse 3 and you go on down. And it shows you everything that will be fulfilled in Isaiah's prophecy. Jesus didn't fulfill it. He fulfilled those first two or three verses. He said, this day, what I've read to you is fulfilled. It's fulfilled in your ears. All right, now let's go back to Joel 2. Y'all hang on. thought I'd lost Joel there for a minute, but I found it. All right, in verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward. After what? After what has happened on the day of Pentecost has been restored to us. To us. To us. To this church. The restoring of the Holy Ghost that fell on the day of Pentecost. It's got to be restored first. Once it is restored, he said, and it shall come to pass afterward. After the restoration. Okay, y'all following with me? This is where preachers are going to fall out with me because I preached 40-something years telling people that Joel 2.28 was the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Have we not? Have we not taught that this was the former rain? If you can't say amen, say old me. All right, now, follow with me. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Let me tell you something. The Spirit wasn't poured out on all flesh on the day of Pentecost. It was poured out on the chosen 120. 
wasn't poured out on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Did any of the sons and daughters prophesy of what happened at the day of Pentecost? Was there a big move of prophecy that fell on the sons and daughters throughout Jerusalem and our sons and daughters started prophesying? Yes, no, maybe, don't know. Huh? The only thing, the only record we have is Philip had four virgin daughters that did prophesy. Okay? But as far as he pouring out the Spirit on the sons and daughters and they prophesied, it didn't happen. Didn't happen on the day of Pentecost. Don't y'all get mad at me. I'm trying to show y'all there's something greater to come. Your old men shall dream dreams. I'm sure some of them had dreams, and your young men shall see visions. I'm sure some of them had visions. And also upon the servants and upon the head maidens in those days will I pour out of my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillar of smoke. Did that happen on the day of Pentecost? Did it happen in the generation of the former reign? We don't hear of signs in the heavens above and wonders in the earth beneath. We don't hear of blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Do we? Do we see these signs? Down through history, have we seen these signs from the former rain? Have we seen them happen? I got some of you now. <laughs> y'all, y'all starting to do me like people in India do me. We'll ask people in India if they can do something for us, and they'll do like this. And you don't know if they're saying yes, no, maybe, or I don't know. They'll they'll rotate their head like this. Can you can you get that done? I I, I need this taken care of by service tonight. No problem. Five minutes, no problem. Two days later, it still ain't done. So y'all stay with me. Now, verse 30, or 31, And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. That has not happened. That has not happened. It will not happen according to the Scripture until after great tribulation. So according to what Joel spoke, according to what Peter spoke, which he spoke the same thing, None of the signs that was spoken about the outpouring of the Spirit of God came to pass on the day of Pentecost. And the reason it didn't, Pentecost had already happened. This is talking about a last day indwelling of the resurrected Christ, which I believe this is the outpouring of the latter reign of the Holy Ghost, not the outpouring of the former reign. He told us in the last days our sons and daughters will prophesy. We had a meeting at the church here last October. Sitting right up here. was gathered around these tables. There's about 10 or 12 of us. I just had certain ministers come in. We prayed. We fasted. We studied the Word. The Spirit of God fell on us one night. And God began to speak. And He spoke and said that in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit on your sons and your daughters, and they shall prophesy. He said, this shall not be a gift of prophecy. 
He said, this shall be the spirit of prophecy. He said, there is a difference between a gift of prophecy and the spirit of prophecy. He said, your sons and daughters will speak as Moses, with the anointing of Moses and the anointing of Elijah, which will cause signs in the heavens, wonders in the earth, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Joel 2 and 28 is not the day of Pentecost. Joel 2 and 28 is the last day, latter rain, outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Because if I'm reading the scripture right, Pentecost had already happened. Am I making sense to anybody? What? No, it's an anointing. There is a difference between a gift of prophecy and a spirit of prophecy. The prophets are anointed with the spirit of prophecy. They can speak earth-shaking events. Go back and look at some of the things Moses done. Look at some of the things Elijah done. The Lord dealt with me about Moses and Elijah uh, in 2017. And I'm not going to go into all of it because it would take several hours. But when Korah and the 250 stood up against Moses, the earth opened up and swallowed them up. Swallowed their families, their cattle, their tents, their children. And God said, this will be a new thing. But that was that word of Moses that done a great sign. Let me go somewhere with y'all. See if we can, see if I won't lose you. Hope I don't. Not trying to. Revelation 11. Some of y'all may know where I'm going and you may not. Okay, Revelation 11, and we're going down to verse 3. Are you there with me? And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days, which we know that's three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. If any man will hurt them... Fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. Who was it that called fire down from heaven on the enemies? Elijah. Okay. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the day of their prophecy. Who had the power to shut up heaven that it didn't rain? Elijah. And have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with plagues as often as they will. Who had that power? Moses, okay, so the two anointings that will stand in the earth in the last day is the anointing of Moses and the anointing of Elijah and our sons and daughters. This ain't God just going to pour out a spirit on people in church and they're going to give out a little prophecy through a gift of prophecy. They're going to speak things that's going to cause signs in the heavens, wonders in the earth, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. They're going to speak with authority as Moses and Elijah did. The Spirit's coming forth in these last days because the power of the two witnesses, the two anointings, is the anointing of Moses and the anointing of Elijah. Who stood on Mount Transfiguration with Jesus? Moses and Elijah. 
and talk to him about things pertaining to his death. So there you've got your completeness. You've got the anointing of Moses, the anointing of Elijah, and the Christ. Acts 2.28 is not the day of Pentecost. It is the latter rain outpouring on this last generation. And it will come to pass after we've been restored back to what God done in the early church. Yeah, Joe, what did I say? All right, we'll go to Acts 2.17. You read the same thing. <laughs> Thank you, daughter. Because Peter stood up and spoke what Joel did. And when he said, it, this is that which was spoken to the prophet Joel, it was a restoration, just like Christopher said. When Jesus was talking to him just before he ascended, he said, it's been spoken to you that you're going to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. And the disciples asked him, maybe it was Peter that asked him, said, well, thou at this time restored the kingdom to Israel. They wanted a natural kingdom set up. They wanted to see the glory of David come back. That's what they thought the kingdom of God was. Huh? Right? Because they were slaves to Rome. Huh? Yeah, you can give him the mic. Hang on, Brother Randall. We'll... You know, we we thought uh, on this wise, you know, uh, uh, I've often thought, well, you know, we're going to preach till we preach the devil's kingdom now, but we're not going to do it. We can preach and preach and preach. The preaching of the gospel is to save, but it's going to be the power of God and the judgments of God. Yes. It's going to bring down the kingdoms of the world. But Israel was looking for the dominion to be restored because... Right. That's what they had always looked for. Uh-huh. One coming like David, who was going to overthrow the Romans that they were under at that time. Yes. Of course, Jesus told them, He said, It's not for you to know the time or the season that the right. Father's putting the his Father's own power, his but own you power. shall receive power. The power they received was to be witnesses unto right. Jesus. But if you go to the book of Daniel, you'll find that Daniel's seen the time that the judgment set. And he's seen one like unto the Son of Man. Yes. It's Christ. And Jesus says, says the very same thing in Matthew. He said, when the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his power, then shall he sit upon his throne. And he's going to divide the sheep from the goats. Right. And he's going to say to, he's going to put the sheep on the right hand. And he's going to say, come and inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. A lot of folks think that, that that's going to happen in heaven. That's going to happen right here on this earth. Yes, it is. And the, and the dominion will be given back to the saints of the Most High God. Yes, it will. At the time appointed. Yeah, according to Daniel 7, we will possess the kingdom of God forever and ever. Now, I want to, if y'all want to study something out, write down Son of Man and go study it out in the Gospels because Jesus taught about the day of the revealing of the Son of Man. He called him the Son of Man the way he walked on this earth. We are going to see the same thing that lived in Jesus be revealed in the days we're moving into, and you will see the ministry of the Son of Man. But when that ministry is finished, and what I'm telling you about the full resurrected power of Christ comes, 
that will be the manifested sons of God ministry. A lot of people have, have preached the manifested sons of God is the way Jesus was on this earth. No, that's the ministry of the Son of Man. The manifested sons of God will be those that obtain the full resurrected power of Christ. It's not going to be for everybody. Everybody's not chosen to it. Everybody can't walk in that. But there are people that it's prepared for. So, I wanted to, I don't know why the Lord spoke this into my spirit last night in prayer to have y'all come to receive this teaching. But I believe we've had our eyes on the wrong thing. I believe we've been praying for the wrong thing. And we've been taught that God's going, and I know y'all ain't going to like what I'm fixing to say, but there ain't nothing in the Scripture that tells you that what God's going to do is going to give you a double portion. We take Elijah and Elisha, and we use that paraphrase, and we tell people that what we're going to get in these last days is a double portion. That don't bear up in Scripture. Is it going to be more? Yeah. Look, I've preached all this stuff. I had to admit I was wrong about a lot of things when God started revealing the Word to me. I am not ashamed. I walked in all the knowledge and light I knew. I've preached it. I've seen some great miracles and powers of God. One of the biggest meetings I ever had under the tent was over in Oxford, Mississippi, where these people are from. I mean, packed out tent, God working miracles. And I, I mean, God bore signs to that Word. Sister Rachel's husband, uh, her younger brother, was it his, young, her young, his younger or older brother? It was a young man there, about 15, 16 years old. Every night I'd step out on the pulpit. The Spirit of God began to move. He'd, he'd run outside the tent. He'd run outside the tent. And he'd get a bunch of young people out there, and they'd play around, goof around, wouldn't get in the service. And I walked out there one night, took the microphone, and the Spirit of the Lord fell on me, and I looked at him. I said, you're going to keep fooling with this spirit and running from God. I said, you're going to meet the devil head on. It wasn't very long after that meeting. He had a motorcycle wreck head on killed him instantly. I'm not happy about it. He was called of God. They said he used to take a stick and tie a rope on it and a microphone. And when he was little and preached, somebody hurt him. Somebody wounded him. And somebody's going to give an account for that soul. Somebody's going to give an account for that soul. But see, God bore them kind of signs to the meetings. And He's done great miracles. I mean, that tent was packed out many nights. You could feel the power of God under it. But God's not going to take us back there. He's going to take us forward into something greater. So I hope I've been able to explain this in a way you can understand it. You're going to have to study it. You're going to have to have God to reveal it to you. But I think I've laid the foundation of it. Do we have any questions? And don't get legal on me. Just ask me a question that a common boy would understand if we have a question. It's not really like for you to clarify hardly very much. But um, so when we talk about targeting and prayer, so when we start praying for, you know, we, we pray for God's kingdom to come, but, but really do we need to start targeting this and saying, God, restore the order that you first yes. brought because that's got to happen before anything else can happen i mean we yes. can't so do we need to start targeting this in yes. prayer and saying god this is what you're saying this is what your word says that hasn't been fulfilled yes. now you fulfill it yes so that should be what we should begin right. praying and, and that's what about. we've been praying since february and lord told us first february to go to prayer every night 
We have been praying for our president, for our nation, for God to give peace to our nation. You read in, in Timothy, I believe it's 2 Timothy 2, it may, uh, where he says, pray for those in authority. Pray for the kings, that we may live quiet and peaceable lives. This is, this is pleasing in the eyes of God. Make an intercession for all men. We do that. Then we pray for God to raise up laborers. You can't have government unless you have people that have some knowledge of how government works. That's the reason the Lord spoke to me two nights ago and said, I've spent a generation gathering people together to be part of the government of this church in these last days. i got 46 years' experience. Brother Randall's been in the ministry just as long, if not longer, than I have. Sister Pat's been, what, 50-something years. See, these kind of people with experience are going to be put in government as elders, as leaders, as teachers. People like my son and my grandson. The Lord spoke by the Spirit of the Lord Thursday night that my grandson, who's just a little over a year old, the Lord spoke by the Spirit of God through a vessel that said that Whitney, did she say she was, she was, you were schooling or training a prophet for this generation? And my wife had told her back at the first of the year, she said, it is your responsibility to train that boy and teach him the Word. She said, just like it was Mary's responsibility to teach and train Jesus. You guard him. you got to let him be normal. But you've got to guard him and teach him the things of God. Jesus was taught the Scriptures. He was taught the things of God. Mary saw to it. said, well, how do you know that? God revealed it. Y'all think when Jesus was out there fasting and praying in the wilderness, he Jesus fasting and praying and wasting his time. No, the Spirit of God was teaching him ministry, teaching him to be led by the Spirit, teaching him things he's going to encounter when he stepped back on the scene and began to minister by the unction of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a teacher. Is that what the Word tells us? The Holy Ghost is a teacher. So while he is in that wilderness, the Spirit of God was teaching him. He was being edified. He was being edified. So I think this has been good. I think it's been very informative. You're not going to find one person in a thousand going to teach you like this. And you start trying to explain this to some folks, Brother Johnson, they're going to tell you you lost your mind and I'm as wrong as the rain coming down from heaven. They're going to tell you I'm wrong. But what did I tell you all this morning? What does the Word say? I preached, and I'm probably going to get myself in a mess when I say this, but I preached in 2010 on being born again. I made people so mad they was ready to take me out and beat me. But when the Lord spoke to me out of 1 John 3 and 8 and 9, when he said, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. He that is born of God doth not commit sin, and cannot sin, because his seed remaineth in him. If you have not reached the place that you cannot sin, you've not been fully born of the Spirit. You might have had an experience with God. But I'm going to tell you something. Going down to the altar, 
repent of your sins and maybe receiving an earnest of the Spirit. There's nothing about that that's a birth. There may have been a seed planted in you. Woman conceives. Pregnancy's a process. That birth's a process. We have not yet been born into what God has for us. Because when we are fully born into it, we won't have the ability to sin. He said, you cannot sin. See, when I preached this, a preacher stood up against me. I was in another person's church. He said, well, the Bible says that he that is born of God does not commit sin. He said, I looked that up. That means you don't practice sin. And he dropped it right there. I wasn't going to argue with him in somebody else's church, but my question would have been, all right, go to the rest of the verse. If you ain't reached the place that you... Have you reached the place you cannot... Any of y'all reached the place you cannot sin? You reached the place your sin nature's dead? Then what them scriptures say has not been fulfilled. We might have had some experiences with God. We might have been quickened. But we have not been birthed. Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. Is that what the Word says? He was the firstborn among many brethren. So when we take on His nature, we're going to take on that ability that we cannot sin. Amen. Y'all love the Lord. Y'all appreciate this. Yes, ma'am. I don't know. The Lord has not shown me. I'm sure it has reference to something. But I, uh, the Lord has not shown me, and I've never dwelt in it. And I will tell y'all, like it was with me when I first met my wife, my mother-in-law loves the Word. And she would come to me and ask me something and want me to explain it to her. And I would look at her and say, Ann, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? And I said, what part of I don't know don't you understand? God's never showed it to me. But a lot of the questions she had, now God has opened my understanding, and I've discussed them with her. She's in her 80s, and she still loves the Word and studies relentlessly. She loves God. She wants to be a part of this last day move of God, her in her 80s. Yes, sir. Jason, I don't know. <laughs> and I'm not going to speculate or elaborate. It could be. It could be. Just like that revelation Christopher brought in about the restoration. I had never seen that. I had asked God. Me and my wife had discussed, why did Peter say what he said? you going to hit a snag on why did Peter say what he said? So God brought some clarity tonight. That's a good, that's a good understanding. Well... We all have. But see, this is something new that God's revealing to us. Well, that'll be good. If God stirs you to study and pray, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I appreciate y'all coming. appreciate you being here. Uh, you got a little container. I'm just going to set a container here if y'all want to help me with an offering. It's appreciated. If you don't, 